Hey everybody, it's Ken Pooch Van Druden with you with Chris Raybold. How are you, Chris? Hello, everybody. Good, man. Good. Yeah, hanging in there, huh? Um, Absolutely. We just shot another video, but I'll say it again. Um, today, we're not using the same thing. It's why it looks a little weird. We're using Zoom today because I don't know if you've experienced this. You, you've been, I'm sure you've been watching all these web chats everywhere, Chris, but like sometimes, some days, Zoom is good. Some days, another, you know, platform yeah. is good. It just all happens, you know, it just depends on how many people are on the thing. Right. Um, which is the entire world at the moment. Um, so uh, anyway, that's why it looks a little bit different. We're on, um, we're using the Zoom thing today. Um, so uh, don't forget um, about the headphone giveaway, um, which uh, by the way, <laughs> where is the guy that Where's won Gordon? the head? Where's Gordon? What happened Gordon to Gordon? T, where are you, bro? Gordon T, bro. You're the first winner. Where are you? Um you know, by if anyone's seen Gordon, <laughs> let him know. <laughs> got his, so, got his headphones. It's so weird that you would go sign up for that, and then I've hit him up like three times in email and no response. So, oh. uh, if anybody knows Gordon in Las Vegas, like go to his house or something, knock on his door, make sure he's all right. Um, because yeah. <laughs> he's he's got a free pair of M50 headphones coming to him. Um, anyway, um, you know, I thought today what might be interesting is we have been getting a lot of comments on YouTube and on our Facebook and on Instagram. Which, thank you, by the way. Yeah, That's absolutely. Killer. Thanks, guys. It's really, really awesome. Um, a lot of them are just thanking us for doing what we do, and, and we we appreciate it very much. That's very nice. Um, but some of them are kind of like, you know, follow-ups to um, stuff that we've talked about before. Um, so I thought maybe we address some of those, you know what I mean? Like, um, talk about some of the stuff. Um, one of the ones, let me look over here. I'm just literally, I'm going down and looking at comments, uh, that people have sent to us. And, um, one of the ones is, um, kind of, they want to know following up about the triggers, Remember we had that discussion about triggers on mm -hmm. the toms. Um, they aren't specific to it, but they, I don't know, maybe we talk them through again, how that whole trigger thing works. Sure. What do you think? I know I saw, I saw one, someone commented there asking if we needed a DI or if you, if one needs a DI. Oh, that's a great question. Right? So what, what's the answer to that? Like how, what do you have to well, do in order to make that work? I'll tell you the quick answer is I never have in 20 years of doing it. Uh, I've never needed one. I, I did see in our comments where someone mentioned, they talked about an impedance mismatch that like, I've never, that's witty and I it's get witty. it, yeah. but I've never needed to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm simply relying, I'm, I don't care about the sonic quality of Correct. that trigger. Correct. You know I mean, I, if, if it's, you're looking uh, for the I, impulse, that's all you care about is the impulse that, of that's it. A, that's all I need. So to answer that question, you do not need, um, all you need to do is just, if it's coming out, uh, female, uh, quarter inch. And I can't even remember if it's balanced or not. I'm guessing it's not. It, I don't think it is. Our, yeah. I no, don't think it is. In, in looking at our comments, I made me go back. I'm like, shit, do I know what I'm talking about? And I went back and looked and I can't even find any documentation. I can't imagine it would be because it's not it's just not necessary. Even if there's noise on that line, it's not going to be significant enough to, right. to mar what we're looking for. Totally. So you don't need a DI. You just run it straight. But what you do need is you, you've got to have um, a kind of a customized cable, right? Because you're plugging it into a stage box. So it's got to be an XLR male um, and quarter inch male on the other side because the actual trigger itself has a female. Um, so there's a little bit of soldering <laughs> needed in, right. in making all this work. Um, so uh, that was a uh, that was a question that some guy asked me, like, you know, well, how do you get them, you know, and then, you know, I don't know if we were clear enough but it's like you know you plug it straight into your snake head into a stage box you know they become yeah, just an input. another input yeah um Correct. so uh i think that maybe some guys weren't 
you know, clear on that. So I, I think we, mm-hmm. I think we cleared that up. Uh, One of our uh, commenters uh, <laughs> has um, a thing here and he wants to know a little bit about your process. Uh, he says your process for virtual playback, like what, uh, what is your kind of day to day thing with virtual playback? Can you speak to that a little? Uh, yeah. I, in thinking about this one, I think the first thing that comes to mind is there's different phases of when I'm using playback. There's the rehearsal period and then there's the tour period. If we're in rehearsals, that's kind of what you would think it is. That is probably on near fields. If I'm somewhere isolated, as you know, oftentimes we'll do band rehearsals at least where we're kind of off in our own sort of makeshift control room. So that will usually be on near fields. And that is, pretty much what you would imagine that is just me working up a mix that's just me creating a mix shaping the song uh and and very much just that so getting to know it just working on the finer things then there's what it looks like on tour and once we're on tour as we've mentioned before on here it's primarily maintenance stuff that i'm doing I'm kind of, I'm reeling things back in. I've noticed that things have gotten a little uh, off kilter here or there, but I will also sprinkle in a heavy dose of, eh, I need to work on this effect or I need to work on this input, or there's this song that drives me crazy, you know? Uh, and then there's also for me, sometimes I just want to go out there and just, it's the middle of the day. I just want to kind of get into my shit, you know? So on at the beginning, it's generally on near fields, with very little headphones. Once we're on tour, when we're in a big loud environment, or even if it's kind of mellow, uh, I don't want all the extra chatter and I want to be in a reliable, consistent listening environment to make these decisions. So I'll often put on cans yep. and I'll do it that way. What about you? Well, I think I've spoken to this one a little bit on one of our previous videos, the system engineer video, when I spoke about, uh, remember I make a macro that allows the system engineer to keep working and I do the same exact thing during the day. Um, man, I'll spend uh, at least an hour every day in headphones, um, probably more to be honest, um, just tightening up whatever I thought didn't go well yesterday. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. um, whatever it is, or maybe it's something that's been bugging me the entire time. So, um, I guess the point of what I'm saying is, is that it's never done for me. (laughs) There's never a time where I go, yep, everything's good. I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. always, uh, striving to, and tweaking for something. There's always something I can kind of pick apart. Um, and for me, that's using virtual playback. Like I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know. I don't even remember how this all worked when I didn't have virtual playback. You know what I mean? It's like, that is totally. like an essential tool. You know, a couple of videos ago, we talked about the five pieces of gear that we would need or or that we love. Um, And uh, to me, like virtual playback is like essential now. Like I would, this is really screwed up that I'm saying this, but I would give up all my outboard and plugins to have virtual Mm -hmm. playback. Me too. You know what I mean? Like that would be, if that was the only tool I could have was the console and virtual playback that I would give up all the rest of it. Just, just because being able to loop some Tom, a Tom fill over and over and over again, and you get it to the point where it's Mm -hmm. like, so, I mean, man, I work on the stupidest little things, um, but little things matter, right? Like I truly believe what makes the difference between a really good engineer and a superstar engineer is the tiny little details, not, not huge things. Um, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, I've had comments specific to like instruments about my mixes in regards to several band, not just one band, like several bands. I've had people say to me, hey, Pooch, you know, man, your toms are amazing, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason that is true in several bands is because I've spent hours (laughs) working on the stupid Tom Phil uh, in each one of those situations using virtual playback. So, um, and, 
so I don't know if they are interested in the workflow of that or have we spoken to that? I can't remember. Like I use Reaper and an MGB. I mean, that's really kind of the simple explanation it's of how pretty, I do. Yeah. And, you know, with both of us being on Digico's um, and honestly, all of them, is just a flip of a virtual switch. Right. You know, I mean, it's you just literally boom. Yep. Uh, on the Digicos, it's listen to copied audio or for me on the SSL, it's stuff. I can't even remember what the, what it's called or what it is, but I um, can't either. You know that they, no, they just, dropped a console at my house. Um, in December, I had the L 200 or whatever at my house for, um, I don't know, about a month. It's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a chance yeah. to mess around with it. It's a good little console. This is what a spoiled little bitch I can be. I know, right? I, have, <laughs> they, I, had, I mentioned to someone from SSL, and I've been using it for years, that I'm just in passing that I needed to get one for something. And uh, one, one day, someone knocks at my door, and it's a freight company with a giant red road case. Wow. And the SSL, the big, the 500, 550, whatever, wheels into here oh. and it sat there for like two weeks and i just i didn't have anybody to help me put it up i didn't have i didn't have any time in my life for it and it sat there for two weeks and i just called him wow. back I was like, yeah you guys can come get your desk now so literally it was just a prop in my house for a little while oh um, uh, that's so funny it's funny uh, when you said that i was like oh that kind of did sound like a spoiled bitch that they delivered a console to my house but yeah, you know in this yeah, covid yeah. days i'm seeing that have you seen that there's like a bunch of dudes where console companies right now are like delivering consoles to people's houses man you know? i'm telling you it's hard not to have uh it's hard not to pay attention to all the extra work people are doing right now yeah and not to be kind of like i need to kind of up my game right now i mean people are people are people are on or at least they're making it look as though they're on it but you can tell the people that really are that are working hard right now so yeah um, um kind of in regards to this and just keep going uh, a little bit on this path um in so like during the show are you a headphone guy like do you solo up I, and grab stuff i it depends on the show it depends on how much i can get away from the big picture Cause what I do, I don't like put my cans on and listen to my, no. I, I have in the past. I remember I went through a phase where I would, but it, first of all, it's hard to check your, it's just so goddamn hard. You know, it's so loud, even <laughs> with know. as much isolation as you I want, you're, you're still working within a limited amount of space where you can really make critical decisions. What I do, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I will solo groups of things like I'll solo from the VCA level and I'll do like bass, add guitars, add the keys. Oh, it's when I add the keys that it gets mucky and then make that. That's what I do with headphones um, as far as like mixing. And then of course I'll, if I need to track something down, I'll use it, but I will put them on and I'm not afraid to do it. And I can do all of this without leaving that VCA level too. Where for the most part, I mean, I'll still mix a solo with cans on, listening to the keys in the bass. Oh, wow. Or to, and, and sometimes I'll say, I'll do this too. Sometimes if it's a really chaotic, hectic environment, I don't, I know what's going on because I know the mix, but I'm just going to be dead on it. Sometimes I'm just like everybody else. I'm like, what? What, what? Is, like, what is, so something's happening. In, yeah, yeah, no. Something, I need to go in and check the source. And that's when I put it under the microscope, which is what the headphones are for. That's go, awesome. Okay, the let me check. You know what I'm saying? Let me check at this level to make sure. No, it's fine there. That's not the problem. So. You're um, way more of a calmer dude. My, <laughs> my answer to when something is like not right is throw uh -huh. the pair of headphones at the system engineer and go find it. And me, uh -huh. my, yeah. meanwhile, I'm still trying to mix, find out what's yeah. broken, you know? And he's like yeah. literally over my shoulder, like trying to solo up things solo. to try to fucking so you find don't shit. put them on during the show. I don't. Um, the only time I will really put on headphones is if something is totally awry and you know yeah. there's an input that's just sitting there going <laughs> and we got to find right. it and we have to find it fast then i'll rip headphones on put them on and start you know playing whack-a-mole until i can find um you know whatever's broken but right. as a general thing you know it's interesting i've watched um you know some major front of house guys that do the show like this you know they do the show mm -hmm. like this and then they're doing this all the time and you know listening to stuff and mixing and then doing stuff like literally they mix a show with a pair of headphones you know on their 
on their neck. Um, I, and I'll do that a lot, to be honest. You? Not all okay. the time. I mean, it's if I do this, if I take them off and put them on their thing, that's a great sign. Oh, okay. Con conversely, what can be a great sign is if I am sitting there like this. Yeah. And I've got them on. Yeah. And I'm just kind of listening. <laughs> that means we're in such a good place that I can just check the fuck out for a minute. That's and great. Just kind of work. Just kind of work on something. I'm gonna work know? on something. But oh, that's when good. They, when they're off, when they're off and off to the side, that's 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 what you want. Well, you that's know? awesome. So that's a that's an interesting another example of how you and I have different workflows. Like literally. I depend on my headphones in the afternoon for virtual playback. Like that's the total deal, mm -hmm. you know, getting the room out of stuff and really listening to minute changes in pairs of headphones is the only way. If I didn't have that tool, it would be tough. Um, but then after that, like once we've done line check, you know, after changeover, like I always do line check. I don't, you know, I know there's guys that have their system engineer do a line check. You know what I mean? It's like, but I mm -hmm. am one of those dudes. It's like, I want to hear every single input and know that it sounds right. And you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, but after that happens and when I put them on the peg and the show starts, that's it, man. Like, I don't, you know, you can and pretty honestly, much pack up my headphones. And that's really, I, I, that's, I don't say there's a right or wrong way. That's there's really no right the way. There's no right way. I, if, I, I shouldn't say that's the more. Yeah. I think that way has always appealed to me. I've just always been been that quick guy. to grab yeah. them when I need them. That's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you, in, in you know, we kind of traveled down this rabbit hole about headphones, but um, do you, like what kind of modes do you do in, in listening in headphones? Yeah. Do you AFL, PFL? What do you, what do you do? PFL is a really only for line check. Me too. You know what I mean? Uh, after that PFL is only for line check, or let's say we've got a singer who changes from a headset to a right. handheld during a, during a, there's a change in the set, you know, to be like, okay, he's got it on. Okay, cool. It's working, you know, or that's she. interesting. You know what? I, now that you say that I have done that in several pop gigs where I have pulled up my headphones to make sure to verify that the right. artist is coming back out with the handheld versus the the headset like i've literally soloed them both up grabbed my phones and been like okay which one okay he really is going to come out on the handheld you know yeah just to, that's have, like gig keeper gig keeper yeah oh totally and i have even i've used it to where the singer goes there's a big elaborate segue the singer goes back to the quick change booth pulls the headset mic drops it around her neck i want to know what the climate is up there totally. i want to know how we're doing <laughs> i want to know what's getting cut i want to know you know what i mean so, so you're also, a spy you're a spy you're oh, one of those I'll, guys i love it i will are you kidding me man i will during rehearsals i will solo up a pair of overheads and crank the the headphones as loud as they will go just to listen to what some of the banter is you That's know what i mean so great. just to get any little thing so i'll do that once the show's going back to the kind of the original part of the question um I will during the show, it's all relative. I'm listening to something relative to something else. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's always AFL. And I typically am doing it at the BCA level. I'm usually just listening to the whatever's there. So, um, yeah, once it, once we get going, it's, it's AFL. Yeah. Uh, and, and also just to point out in case anybody, you know, thinks it's different, the, the virtual playback, period where you're working on all kinds of stuff for me is all solo in place. Like I want it all to be, you know, panned correctly. This, the effects, you know, after fader solo, um, uh, I don't use PFL at all when I'm doing any sort of virtual playback stuff. It's, uh, that's for me, PFL is all about, um, you know, uh, line check. So, um, yep. cool. All right. Well, I think that answers about, um, the virtual playback question. Um, somebody else, I was looking down here at some comments and somebody was talking about side chaining, um, just side chaining in general. Oh, I saw that. Um, what do you side chain? If anything, do you side chain a lot of things? I Nope. Uh, yeah. I saw that question and I thought that I thought that was a good question, mainly because I want to know what you say to this. I, I'll tell you what I do. I will side chain. Well, first of all, of course, the, the, the triggers that are, that's a side chain. Correct. Um, uh, process there. But the only things that I will do, I will always take, I know some people will tell you, 
that your the snare through the hi hat is part of your snare sound. Yeah, and that's real. Um, you know, see what it sounds like. Check the phase against your snare. You know, do those sorts of things. I uh, always duck. I will take. I'll make a bus. And it's called, it's always called SNSC, snare sidechain. And it will typically be all of the snares uh, routed pre-fader through some aux or a bus or some shit. And then they will go to the, and I can use this for any number of things. I can use it to on the hi-hat channel where it'll drop the snare, but you got to be real careful with the release. You do. You know, it's a, it works until it doesn't work. Yeah. So I'll do that. I've also used it on overheads. If I do have like some weird wonky placement and I just don't want the snare. Right. But it, you can't just destroy it. Cause there's going to be times where he's hitting the snare and a symbol or the symbols decay. So I'll do that. That snare sidechain bus that I mentioned, you can also use it. If you do create your own gated snare verbs that I mentioned in another videos, other than that, I've played with side chaining the bass to the kick drum, which right. is a, probably the most common bit of side chaining that's done nowadays. When I'm going to try, when you answer, I'm going to try to think if I do anything else, but by and large, that's all I do is really stuff to kind of clean the snare. I'll take it out of the ride sometimes. So that, that's pretty much it. So it would be so, gay. Yeah, that's that, pretty much it for me. That's interesting. The, the snare thing that you're talking about creating some sort of bus that has all the snare drums, you know, cause um, you know, most of the gigs that we do have four snare drums or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, the, yeah, I know. Um, is that something that you generally build into your file? Like you're offline, even before you show up, is that something that's already there? I'm, yes. I know I'm going to do it. Interesting. hundred percent. Yeah, that's cool. I know. I'm, and if I know I want it, it's just part of my workflow. It's right. It's available to you and you, you use it or you don't, but it's something that you always set up starting out with, um, yes. which, I, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, my adventure in side chaining <laughs> um, has always been. Like it was never really on my radar in analog land. Like we, you know, like I never really. A lot of this stuff wasn't. I wasn't doing that on a hi hat with an XL four. Right. Know? Exactly. You, you could. You, you could. could. You but, could. But that but was I... never. It wasn't ever like. I don't think back then you would, if we were having a discussion about, you know, mixing on an XL4, that wouldn't be something that we would bring up. You know what I mean? That just wasn't. Well, we had X amount of space and cabling. And... Totally. Do I really want to ask for another blah, 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 you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so it's, it is foreign to my workflow. Like side chaining to me in general is, uh, em emergency. I need something to fix what's going on, um, in mm -hmm. general. So, I don't tend to, you know, I've tried all the stuff, right? Like everybody always talks about, you know, oh, side chain your, your bass guitar to your kick drum, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it never works for me. I, I, I can't, I can't make it work. I don't know why. Every time I do I it, that feeling. every time I do it, I go initially, sometimes I go, oh, well, yeah, that's better. And then about like five minutes later, I'm like, man. That's just not working. I, I don't, I don't dig it. Or, you know? or I miss the bass and the kick working yes. together yeah. where we would both probably enjoy it more is if we were doing like EDM where it's supposed yes. to be like, the pumping, the you know, yeah, that's the point. That is yeah. the point of it. But, I, well, but I, I, I mean, dude, you look on the internet right now and there's a hundred YouTube videos of some engineer yeah. talking about that's what he does. You know, right. um, I just, it doesn't work for me and it wasn't, you know, you always fall back on like what you, your fundamentals of what you started with. And so, um, I, st it's funny. I still think analog a lot. Me too. Like, um, Me too. when I am, uh, talking about putting plugins in, I still think like a guy that only has two 1176s and has to make a decision about where those two are going to go. Like, I don't ever go, Oh, I can put an 1176 on 36 channels. You know, I go, Oh, I've only got two of them. And I can, you know, that's kind of right. what's going on on behind the scenes, you know, in my, in my brain. Um, so the, 
side chaining to me is something that I've experimented with, but never really worked. Now, the only thing that I do side chain and I do pretty much on a regular basis besides the triggers, um, is the, uh, band bus, um, with the, uh, lead vocal side chain to the band bus with a mid side, um, compressor uh so in waves land that's an f6 uh that'll do a mid-side compression um at about 1k is where i usually set it up i, I kind of sweep like i'll find where the sweet spot pulling out in the middle pulling out right. in the middle yes its whole job is only. not is is to suck out just a little bit in the center whenever the vocal happens right so right. It, it just makes little a little extra space in the center you know, because we always talk about, you know, panning. Remember we talked about how like, you know, I don't ever want to have something overlapping another thing in that, in that panning space. Well, in the mm -hmm. center, you don't have that option. The snare right. drum, the bass guitar, the kick drum, they all share that space, the vocal, the, you know, you can get, you can spread out guitars, you can spread out key, keyboards, you can spread out playback, all those things, you can get them away from the center, but they're still going to be like, I, what like eight inputs or 10 inputs that are sharing that panning space, you know, that, that center. Mm -hmm. So making space for your most important input, which is your vocal, um, is, has been a really handy tool for me. I've probably been doing it for, I don't know, for the last five years at least. Um, and mm -hmm. I would say, man, I, I can't think of an artist that I haven't used it on in the last five years. Cause it's just kind of part of my workflow, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I generally, just so you know, I don't start that way. Like, you know, I build the band and then add the vocals without that process happening. Okay. Yeah. So that F6 is not dipping 1K from the beginning. It's kind of about the same time that I start doing mastering on my mix bus. Like mm -hmm. when I'm start talking about, which brings up a really good point. Let's, let's talk about our mix bus stuff. Cause there was a bunch of questions about that too. Um, mm -hmm. I'll speak to that really quickly. So the, my mix bus, you know, it's funny. A lot of people always want to know like what's on my mix bus, what's on your mix bus, what's on your mix bus, because they, I think that they think that whatever it is that I have on my mix bus is the magic. Like that's right. the, what's happening, you know? Um, but I don't think like that at all. Like my mix bus mm -hmm. is, um, super subtle and super uh just tickling a little bit and kind of just mastered now there's mm -hmm. a lot of groups before that that have exactly. some pretty heavy compression like you know the band bus has the 2500 on it and it's you know getting into 3 db of compression it's you know pumping mm -hmm. um but the mix bus itself is not like you know that's not the place where i add all kinds of magic uh so mm -hmm. i think it's funny that people ask that so the mix bus for me is kind of like, I don't even put a plugin on the mix bus until I've totally got my shit together. Like everything mm -hmm. is kind of lying in there and I'm at the point where I'm working on just minute things, right? Uh, then I'll say, eh, let's put a C6, for example, on my mix bus just to be kind of a mastering tool. You know, just mm -hmm. to kind of tickle some frequencies and, and the output of my desk has a little bit of a mastering feel to it. Well, the reason I went down that rabbit hole was because that F6 that's on the band bus that is side chained from the vocal, get it gets instituted right around that same time. Like it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I am trying to make my vocal pop without that tool. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, doing everything that I can using all the tricks and everything in my, in my toolkit to get that vocal to, um, really get over the top of the band. And then when I get to the point where I'm adding a little mastering to my mix bus, that's also when I instigate the F6 on the band bus. And then I go, Oh shit, man. Now the vocal is really, you know, coming out. Right. So, right. uh, so I spoke a lot about the, the mix bus shit to talk to talk about that. Talk about the mix yeah. bus stuff. I, I have a 90% of the time for the past 
God, I don't know how many years, my mix bus has looked exactly the same. Um, now when I'm home or when I'm doing, uh, if I'm doing virtual playback, I will try, I keep going back to the same thing, but I know a lot of different things that could do something I also like for me. So my mix bus is often, we talked earlier about, I think it was when we were talking about drums, it was like, when do you engage, you know, parallel compression or this or that or whatever. Um, I don't, I too don't start with a lot of the sweeteners in place. In other words, for the same reason as you, I want to know that the source is as good as it can be, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, but I will start mixing into bus processing fairly quickly. Once I know I'm in a pretty good spot because it is part of the sound and mixing into it does help shape the sound, particularly, you know, and all, this is great. All these videos are tying into one another. Then we start talking about snapshots. You know, if I'm, if I'm making this story, it needs to kind of interweave totally. with itself from, you know, uh, song to song, chapter to chapter. So, uh, for me, that mix bus is usually, uh, it's usually just two things. Sometimes it's as many as four. The two that it always is, is first, there is a compressor on there. Uh, I really, really like the sound of, uh, VCA, VCA based compressors, traditional, just thinking, kind of going back to like SSL type, um, bus compressors. So mine, which we've talked about on here, uh, quite a bit. Mine is the 2,500 yep. that's, that's been in place for me since 2007. I think I got my first one. Uh, and that then goes into this order used to be reversed. It used to be saturation first, then compression. I now go compression into saturation. And the reason that I do that is I view saturation aside from the tonal coloration that it gives. I look at it also as a limiter because it oftentimes um, all of the time is shaving off transients. So I want that to be that to come after the compression, the, the, the thing there is you got to be careful because when you're tweaking your compressor, you're now tweaking how hard you're going into that, uh, saturation, that saturation. right? Yeah. So saturation for me again, is that Sonic farm cream liner. I also like, it's funny before, COVID-19 happened. I had this big mix bus shootout plan and it was going to be the Sonic farm cream liner yeah. versus the HG, HG designs, black box versus the SSL fusion versus, uh, my buddy, Jeff Terzo and the overstair MAS. And then I was maybe going to throw this one other thing on there, but it was just, I, I love the saturation stuff and I just want to make sure I'm in the best spot I can be. So awesome. those two, those two things are in place, compressor saturation. After that, I have recently sort of gotten into mix bus EQ, but I don't like to go there too much. Interesting. I don't like it's very, very lightly. It's usually via a plugin. The cream liner itself actually has like a low and high band shelving thing. Um, and then finally, this is a risky one. If I can get away with it, I will put some sort of modern time limiting at the very, very end, like an L2 okay. or the precision limiter within a live rack uh, is something that can do it. There's a lot of other ones in the native world. I keep going back to that stuff that I would like to use like fab filter, but I will let it get one to as many as four DB to really Whoa. make it that God, yeah. you know, again, and this goes back to that might not necessarily be my favorite sound, but that is the sound of today. Exactly. So, and when I, when I say, if I can get away with it, that means, can I survive with the vocals being subject to yes. that? And again, yes. raising that noise for it. So those are the two to four that I use. I too separate out, uh, mixed music and vocals in the two separate buses, but I try to keep them all on the same one. If I can, I just, I, I like that sound. So, interesting. Well, yeah. you know, what's interesting is that again, we have two completely different workflows. You know, my, um, the, the stuff that you are talking about, you're doing to your mix bus is happening earlier in the chain for me. So it's happening yeah. in groups, 
um, and maybe even in individual inputs I'm shooting for, like, especially like saturation. Like I don't ever put saturation on my mix bus and yeah. I do I individual it. things getting saturated. I do that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, the overall end product, I don't really mess with. So it's a different philosophy, getting the same, you know, uh, good result we hope. Um, mm. but, but my, just the way that my thinking is, I like to work on something earlier on in the process, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah. and all of those things that I mentioned, I will bypass all of them at any given time. So you when you I mean? start, are those all bypassed? Like when you yeah. are in rehearsals, when do you instigate those things? Pretty quick, man. I would say a few days into once there's kind of a band mix, kind of maybe around, you're talking about when do you instigate automation kind of maybe maybe even before that it's pretty soon. Okay. Because I too, though, even though they're there, like the mix bus is one to two DB. I mean, it's, I it's get it. just, it's not doing now that to me, because my mix bus, I mix very hot. I mix too hot. If I'm honest, um, I am pummeling the saturation stuff, which means it is really doing what it's supposed to be doing. When Got people it. oftentimes mention they don't hear saturation devices or plugins or whatever, right, hit right. it harder yeah. and you'll hear it. Oh yeah. You know, for sure. So, um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, it's pretty that's early on, but they're not doing a ton. Got it. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I have always been, um, I, I think way back in analog land, um, I was the guy that didn't do a whole lot of bus compression either. Like I was inputs, like I was like focused on, um, effects and, and, uh, choices on the inserts of the inputs, get it to a bus. And then I didn't usually do a lot of bus compression. Like that came to me kind of later on in, in the digital journey a little bit. Yes. Um, where I then kind of adopted into my workflow, this, um, I'm going to kind of master each of the groups, you know what I mean? And, and help them yeah. to, you know, do whatever. Um, so it is not, it's not my first thing and like it doesn't come to me first to mix into compression right like to mix into bus compression is foreign for me so i even which is different than what you just said for me um i don't institute bus compression usually except for like drums and parallel bus compression that's different but but like bus compression on guitars and keyboards and stuff in my workflow kind of happens uh i would say like la later on in rehearsals like where i start mm -hmm. to feel like oh okay i have a handle on what's happening but now i kind of want to master that group if that makes sense uh -huh. that's just how and i is, think you know yeah and, and i mean you said the word master and i think of mine is more I, and i too in analog world i it was probably i mean i didn't have a stereo but i didn't care you know uh, i didn't it wasn't part of my workflow but also you think about where we are now we're in that era there's a reason all these people are asking it's this thing that you're like you almost feel like you have to do it right you know and it is like the question it you know is like what's on your mix bus and that's just kind of where we are now so for me it's more once i got into it i really got into it and i did get into it at the very end of the analog days but um Mine is more like mixing a mix bus processor. And it's only when I put in the limiter or the EQ that it's more mastering type yeah. of mindset. So that's cool. You know, what's funny is that I, I also know um, that the XL4, which is a desk that I worked on for 10 years, um, it's busing has this thing called output biasing. And so when you really nail the bus on an XL4, it has natural analog compression that happens there. So even though I wasn't putting compression exactly. on my analog groups, let's say, um, it was happening naturally in that desk. So 
I didn't discover that until I got onto anal or onto digital desk where I was like, this is really clean. Like I'm sending stuff to this group and it's not, doesn't sound as good. Like what, what is happening? And a lot of that I discovered by talking to a tech guy. He's like, Oh no, dude, those XL4s, they had output biasing that, you know, basically was, you know, four to one compression. When you really got into the yellows on an XL4, yes. it started yes. to do this, you know, into the group. Um, and so I didn't realize it, but I probably was, I was mixing into compression, into were. compression. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, uh, but but yet my workflow and the way my brain works that isn't a go to that's not like the first thing that I do you know what I mean yeah um yeah. so yeah it's interesting that um, we both kind of do it differently um cool well that's mix bus stuff uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you have it <laughs> there you have it that, any- that's another one of those where I, that's another one of those where I could go for days talking about. Th- things that I like to do or would like to do or that I'm aware of or different techniques. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause there really are a million different things you can do there. Okay. Here's one that I had a bunch of people ask, um, you know, they, the guys that are watching this, there's a lot of them that don't have the same tools that we have. It's just, they don't have it. They don't have a Digico. They don't have a, uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, mix through some, you know, thousands of dollars worth of gear and maybe what they have is a barringer and yep. um you know some mica <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like maybe those yeah. are their tools and there oh yeah there was a lot of questions like if there's a different approach to that kind of workflow for you like if you you know show up to a church for example like because that's usually where you're going to find this stuff um mm-hmm. How do you handle that situation? Like, what, do you do things differently? Do you think things differently? Like what, you know, is, I do, I, okay. I think for me, well, and it's, and it's not often that I'm in that situation, right? If I'm honest, luckily, um, luckily, but, um, here recently it came up now, mind you, the bare bones that I used was still a Midas digital console. So it was still a high end piece of gear, <laughs> but and I actually really, really, really like the way that desk sounds just like what's in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like the way the EQ sounds, but I don't like, I'm not crazy about the dynamics and I'm definitely not crazy about the effects. So it was this thing where I, I had to use it and it was fine for what we were doing. Uh, the fact that I had to use it quote unquote for me, but, um, for that, I went in with the mindset of, man, I'm not doing any of my shit. I'm not doing any of my busing, like zero busing, zero. And I just committed to that. I went in there and I, I just, it was just everything straight to the left, right bus. Fortunately for this thing, this is for the Kenny Chesney thing that I do. And everybody in that band's badass has great tone. So, I mean, it was kind of already done for me, right. but I did it. Uh, the only thing I used was my approach to gain structure. And that was it. And that, the, my, and I, other than that, I just kind of pushed everything up and, and yeah. you know, it was great because you and I, as much as we talk about, I don't know how I lived without playback and I don't know this and that <laughs> there's a part of me. Sometimes I'm like, shit, do I even know how to dial anything up fast anymore? <laughs> you know? And to be honest with you, the only thing that's not scares me, but that bothers me or gives me concern about dialing a mix up fast is God, we talk about gates a lot, but it's like drum is gates. Oh man. Is yeah. that, I mean, everything else I can spin up in five seconds, just like the rest of us. And to be honest with you, I can dial in a drum sound with these gates super, super, super fast too. But that's like a tedious thing that if you don't get right can cause big problems. Totally. So, you know what I mean? So for the most part, yeah, my strategy does change. No plugins, no frou frou shit. There might be a drum reverb. There might be a vocal reverb. Yeah, maybe a delay, and that's it. I mean, it's not like we don't know how to do it. You know? No, right. So, I mean, you know, so that it. The question is a hard one because it's like, well, the answer is I'll do whatever it takes to make it sound good. So exactly. So 
it's hard to speak to what that means, but I, but I will say that just like you, my workflow totally changes. I'd like, okay, if I don't have the bells and whistles, then it's going to be real, you know, meat and potatoes, man. Here we go. We are going to, um, you know, go in there and, uh, not use all the bells and whistles and whatever. Um, you know, it's funny a few years ago, um, before Chester died, um, he was singing in, uh, stone temple pilots and I was doing a, a run of that and they, um, uh, they either purchased or they had a deal with or someone, but they got a, a, um, I think it was a D live. can't remember. It was something, you know, um, a, a more, is that the Allen and Heath? Yeah. Um, I think it was more of a, you know, along the consumer line of, you know, I, I, I don't know, whatever it's, I I know what you're saying, a, a, uh, a console that was under a hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say that, you know what I mean? It was whatever. Um, and I had a little trepidation about that. Like I was showing up to that going, Hmm, I don't know what's going to happen here. You know what I mean? I'm not going to have my tools and, uh, but you know what? It was fine. It was one of those things where, and actually in the end, I, I want to make sure that I'm saying this right. I think it was a D live and I, oh God, I hope it, <laughs> I know because the reason right. that I want to be clear is because it, it was actually a really good experience where that I'm console sure actually sounded pretty good. Like in the end, I was kind of like, like proud of myself. I was like, Wow, yeah. this is uh, this is actually sounding pretty good on this thing. But again, totally. again, like your Kenny Chesney experience, it's like, well, it's Stone Temple Pilots, dude. I mean, like, right. how do you fuck that up? You know, you can't. Right. They're they're amazing. All three of them are, you know, unbelievable. And right. and, and then Chester was amazing. Um, so um, I, I guess you know it's a hard answer, but it is also an answer of you use the tools that are given to you. Um, you know, um, the only kind of, you know, the only kind of, uh, parallel I can describe to that is, you know, I get to use the hundred dollar hammer when I'm building the house. But if you gave me the $10 hammer, I'd still build the house. Right. You know what I mean? I'd still use it to build the house. So, um, same tools, just, you know, it kind of used in, in different ways, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers mm-hmm. the questions out there, but that's, um, that was one of the questions. Um, here's a good one. Another one, um, stereo inputs placement and how wide, uh, mm-hmm. keyboards, guitars, and overheads. So, mm-hmm. um, how do you place your stereo inputs generally? Like what, what are the things that you hard pan and what are the things that you, even though they're stereo, maybe place them somewhere like, yep. Speak to uh, that. that. That's great. And that's actually, I too, I mean, I'm looking at all these comments. I don't remember seeing that one, but it's ironic because I recently read something where someone was talking about, you know, if you've got a ton of stereo keyboards, if you just have, if you've got stereo keyboard, stereo keyboards, and they're all hard pan after a while, you essentially just have this cluttered sort of mono kind, yeah. kind of thing. And it's really, man, I do a ton of stuff with a lot of keyboards these days. Um, and it's kind of made me rethink some of that. I'm like, huh, maybe I need to play with, because I already, when I, so to answer the question, when it comes to keyboards, I think every now and again, I'll take a piano and I'll bring it in some. Yep the piano is about the only one that I'll bring in everything else, depending on how stereo, but usually they're not, there's movement, but it's usually not, you can get away with going super wide. Usually with keys, I'll actually widen them some more. Um, which is also a very modern sound. So pianos, sometimes I'll bring in a little bit, but a lot of other stuff, uh, synthy kind of stuff, I'll actually kind of spread it out more overheads a lot of times when i start a session i'll i will hard pan them and then i'll end up bringing them in just to because sometimes again because we're in live sound now the difference between stereo imaging and that's coming from a tenth of a mile away from that sound you know is it's just too unreal so i don't know that i always want a crash that's only heard over there. You know what I mean? Um, 
same thing with guitars. We, we've talked about guitars, but um, if it's the same source, sometimes I will hard pan them. But if it's different people, I can't. I just can't afford to put somebody way the hell over there and somebody else way the over here, uh, way the hell over there. So sometimes I'll, I'll say this, and then I'll kind of shut up for a second. It does depend. You said typically, so that's typically. <laughs> it does depend on the gig because sometimes I often think what do I want on the furthest reaches? Like if I want a big guitar sound, I want the guitars to be eating up to be this massive driving force. Not, you know, if I want some sparkle or this and that, maybe the overheads do go out there. So, uh, that's it. And so as far as width goes, it's usually either stereo or really stereo. Uh, on occasion, do I bring things in? Interesting. Um, guitars, a whole other conversation. Guitars can go every which way. That's, I don't even know what to say typically there. You know, what about you? So, uh, here we differ again. Um, I generally almost always hard pan my overheads and that is the space that the overheads get to occupy. Like nobody else gets that space. Um, so, um, uh, with that being said, I will definitely make sure the image of that is a stereo image of the drum kit with the snare drum in the center of that. Like if you sold up my overheads, you'll discover that I've adjusted my mic pre's or my trims so that despite where the microphones are, I've shifted the whole kit to be in relation to this hard pan left and right, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, it does. So... You know, in my world, I really I subscribe to this on a on a pretty, you know, hardcore level in that no one instrument in any of my mix gets to share the same panning space. OK, mm -hmm. so if the overheads are hard panned, nothing else gets to be hard panned. Um, so what that means to me is keyboards, if there's six of them, I'll actually have them be they're hard pan but they're just a little bit in and then the next yeah. keyboard is a little bit more in and the next keyboard is a little bit more in in uh, other words just just touching the hard pan but not mm -hmm. hard pan not definitely hard pan and and um i tend to actually um with keyboards sometimes when there's a bunch of them um, I'll even start making pockets of them where I'll take a stereo image and make a pocket of eight o'clock to 11 o'clock. Right. So it's and like, that's when I read that article, that's what I started thinking of that. Maybe that's the move. Maybe I need to experiment with doing some of that. So know? that I've been doing that quite a bit recently so that they're they're spaced and they have kind of a, a panning to them they're not defined in a pan you know they're like this but they're mm -hmm. they're over here and then i put yeah. another keyboard over here um and i think a lot about sympathetic panning a lot i was just getting ready to say i'm very big on and this is actually something that i wished i went the only thing when we finished talking about guitars i wish i had talked more about how much i put stock in a symmetrical mix 100 I, I, I and which is what you're saying too yeah. it needs to be equal weighting there doesn't have to be but for me i prefer and i think that way if something's over there yeah. what's its counter you know? Dude, like um, Beatles records and like uh, there was a band in the 90s called Delamitri. Do you remember that band? Um, yeah, totally. But, wow. <laughs> uh, but Massenberg mixed those records, right? And his whole philosophy was put the drums all the way on the right side, put the bass guitar on the left-hand side. So literally, if you hard panned your stereo, you, can, oh, yeah. you would only have Motown. the bass guitar. Right, Motown. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. kind of mixes drive me insane. Like, I don't know how they pulled it off. I, I don't I really either. Don't, I don't see how it does. It isn't just like an assault. That's just, yeah. So that, I hear those things now and I, on a novelty level, I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool that the bass is coming out of that side and the drums are over there. But I mm -hmm. am so like focused in my work in what you just described, like symmetrical Mm -hmm. frequency sharing and symmetrical panning um, and symmetrical depth um, so that this whole space is um, frequency wise shared 
the same and also um uh panning shared the same um it's like a i spend hours like getting that right you know and see and i love what you that's it's so cool we're talking about this so thank you whoever wrote this one because i've literally this is something i've been thinking of I, and i've thought if i do like some of what you're talking about where you've got like eight and eleven or you've yeah. got it that might then cause me to want to approach things differently where i am now automating panning because if i've got a juno that's doing this yeah now i need that guitar that i say i never audit now suddenly like something's got to be over there you know what i mean a totally know what you mean yeah all of those keyboards aren't often playing at the same time so it's gonna if i do some of this it's gonna cause me to approach some things differently but um it's something i'm interested in i just i really like talk about modern mixing uh, the, it's just insane how wide records are now oh man unnatural but also really cool <laughs> yeah. how wide they can be and again we can only get away with so much live but wherever i can i want to do that too because I, I like it you know what i mean i do too i i like the outside of it i don't mm. like the phasey middle of that in well, some of these records i will do this uh, and i think this is the way a lot of people are getting away with it you know, if I just have like on the stereo bus, if I have some widening there, which first of all, make sure it's as phase coherent as, as it can be, right. whatever the tool that you're using. Um, a lot of times I'll bail on it because you do, but the nature of raising a lot, oftentimes with its mid side processing, and it's simply just raising the level of the sides and doing that, you lose the power of the center image. So what I will do, uh, oftentimes more, this has become, this is something in the past few years I've done is I will have a, we talk about busing. I will have a bus that is a, a width bus. So that and it's oh, wow. generally only, yeah, it's generally only keys. And even though it, it's almost counterintuitive, I say you can't hard pan a guitar, but I'll still take guitars that are pan like this and sometimes throw them through that width bus. So it's kind of like where you're going against what you just said, but it's a different sound. So that's how I'll do it. So I can still keep the kick snare punch. Oh, that's interesting. And so, so yeah. you pull that guitar out of whatever bus it's in and only put it through the width bus then at that point. So that width bus would, yeah, that exists just for, just for that very reason. So I can have some widening, but not lose the center image, not lose the, the punch or the, or the vocal dip or whatever. That's cool. I'm stealing so, that. That's great. That's a great go. tool yeah. to have available. I hadn't thought about that. That's so like, that is uh, stereo inputs, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm a super stickler about, like I said, about frequency space and panning space. So when you described, you know, having to move things or whatever, I don't do that. Like I would find something, I would only put something at eight and 11 if I had something else that was similar Counter. playing all the time over here Understood. do you know what i mean so I um, but yeah but but what if you, you could you... figure out how to make that work which i don't i don't do any sort of snapshot panning usually um mm. but i i i hear i'm i smell what you're stepping in with that that's that's kind of yeah. cool that could be cool you know what do you do with uh what about tracks tracks that yeah uh that's great that's See, a great that's that you different. bring that up yeah that's different for me mm -hmm. um but i don't i am not the guy that just immediately left and writes everything um so you know if it's the whatever you know 16 stem stereo stems definitely not all 16 are panned hard left and right you know what i mean wow um, interesting yeah no i bring and you know this is what I'm talking. I'm talking about the space from all the way hard pan to maybe eight o'clock over here and five o'clock over here. You know what I mean? Right. And right. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm keeping little spaces for each one of those kind of stereo inputs to give them kind of their own panning space. Um, because I, I truly believe it makes a difference. Even if you have something, if you put something at eight o'clock and if you put something at seven fifty eight it makes a difference like painting yes. wise. Um, so, and it, this is interesting. We can go down a rabbit hole here. It's kind of why I subscribe to the external word clock 
um, uh, thing because I've discovered in my journey that um, external, a better word clock has better panning definition. It does. It or not. It's yeah. the, that to me, that's the whole thing that it yes. does. The, 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 the cell for me is what it does to the width, the, the, the stereo image. Totally. So for me in digital audio, hard left, hard right, and center are always well-defined. But mm -hmm. it's the problem. The problem is between hard left and right and center. You know what I mean? There's kind of yes. this weird ethereal place where I yes. felt like in analog land, there was definition in every single panning point of that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like that. It's, and it's funny because I especially notice it in a really cheap console um, mm -hmm. that has a really cheap word clock. I noticed that the panning part of it is stinky, you know, like, oh man, you know, I put something at 10 o'clock, but it's really kind of like 930 to 1130. I mean, it's kind of over there, uh -huh. you know? Right. Um, and that really handicaps me because I'm the guy that wants to be able to put something at eight o'clock and put something next to it at 758 and and make sure that those two things don't share that space and so when mm -hmm. i don't have something like a really good word clock happening um and my panning definition goes away then i struggle so mm -hmm. in answer to your question playback for me is really minute takes i almost never do what i talked about doing with keyboards um, you know, like putting oh, right. them, putting them at eight and 11. I don't ever do that right. with playback really, but I do make space for each one of the stereo stem, uh, stereo stems in, in that left and right panning. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Do you just left, right? Uh, them? By default I do. And I'm going to uh, right out of the box. I'm just going to assume hope that these stems are well-made. You know what right. I mean? Which, and we've got to do one of these, if not several oh my of these on just yes. tracks, on tracks in general. Oh. Uh, but we debt, we have to, man. Yes. But, and that'll be, that'll be a good one. Interesting. Plus I'm sure we'll learn some, uh, I fr like to assume everything's done properly. So I will at first hard pan them all. And really the only time I'm going to bring them in, well, the continuation of that thought would be if I've had a hand in the formation of the, uh, tracks or stems, then I, I can feel confident to pan them hard and know that things are placed within that stereo image properly. The only time I'll bring things in is if there is an obvious, un, you know, unbalanced image for some reason. And sometimes a lot of times it's just the way the stems were made. It just went, there's some poor assistant that had to make 7 billion stems <laughs> totally. from this mix. Oh, you know what man. I mean? And it was four in the morning and they didn't <laughs> notice that the tambourine is now panned hard, right? I mean, yeah. I had this very thing happen to me a few months ago with someone I was working with, uh, with a new single of theirs that they absolutely loved. And minute one of the first time we played the tracks, this like signature, it's like a snare hit coupled with a tambourine. It was like way off to the side. Oh, I'm like, no. God, that's like so important, but it's way the hell over there. Oh um, no. And so in, yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that instance, I brought it in. Um, if it can't be you fixed, had to. if it can't be fixed, to, yeah, it couldn't be fixed in the box. It was printed. It was Dude, stuff, this was this is a whole other discussion. It, the whole playback is. thing so, about like going yeah. back and, and, if the playback stems are bad, I definitely go and talk to anybody to try to fix them. So like, I will have a conversation with the recording engineer or the producer, or, you know, I'll go to management and say, Hey, can you give me the number of the producer? Cause this ain't happening. Right. You know? And it, it usually right. is exactly what you described. Some assistant at one o'clock in the morning after everyone left made that stem and it, it's not right. It's I was wrong. I, am a super stickler about it and I'll make them go back. Like I'll, I mm -hmm. will, there's been three situations I can think of in my career where I have said, this just ain't going to work guys where it's, it's something like what you described, where it's like so important to the sound of that song. And now mm -hmm. it's hard pan to the right. And you know, something else is hard pan to the left in this stem. It's just like, guys, I, we have to fix it.
Um, yep. But anyway, that's, I mean, you know, geez, that rabbit hole is deep. So we'll, um, we'll know down that one. Still that one separate. <laughs> but, but by and large, so for the purpose of this question, yes, I usually start with everything hard panned and then only do it as a fix. To Got it. In. Got it. Cool. Uh, mixing from home. What are the tools that you use? Just real quick. Like, are you a Pro Tools guy? When you're mixing any sort of stuff at home, what do you use? Uh, nowadays, it's it's just all Pro Tools based, and it's all strictly in the box. You know very well because we speak often. There is to to the right of me sitting in boxes right now is an LV one ah. that I want to play with, but it's yeah. usually just me in the box. Back in the day, I used to have uh, a lot. Of, I had more I/O, and so I could bring in analog stuff and work 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 that into my workflow. But for me at home, I have a pair of JBL 708Ps, which are the same uh, reference monitors that I take on the road. Yep. I usually don't have those here. That was something I picked up at the very end, right before covid mania fully hit and <laughs> shops were closed i went oh, to the man. shop and grabbed mine wow brought them home but it's usually just on cans i've got some universal audio uh stuff the interfaces but for me it's just in the box and it's more I, I adhere to my same rules but it's usually just exploration um yeah so just a ton of plugins at home for me cool yeah same for me i mean i you know i mix the box anyway so uh coming home um, you know, the DAW of choice for me also is pro, pro tools only because that's what I learned on, you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. um, uh, all the quick keys and all the stuff for stuff that I know, and, um, uh, you know, I got nothing against logic and I have it and I like it and it does cool stuff, but I'm just slower on it, to be honest. Um, so, uh, yeah, pro tools is the DAW. And then I probably have three, yeah, I have three pairs of different monitors i have a focal um b6s or whatever and the sub I like those, the little yeah. guys yeah little yeah, guys they're little six inch ones but um they are um i don't know something about about them uh they are not ear fatiguing like i can mix on them like all day long uh and mm. not walk out of the room going oh my god you know um mm. and then i got another pair of rcf uh kind of near fields that are uh on purpose consumer level uh stuff and those are like right. the what i check my mixes on you know um just because i want to hear it on some sort of consumer level um pair of speakers and then i too also have the jbl 7 series um stuff so both mm-hmm. of those and um and yeah i mean i mix in the box and it's all plugins i have um a sound grid system that's hooked into pro tools it's a hdx native card um into a macintosh tower and that is going into an iox interface which is a waves interface that interfaces hd into pro tools uh so that i can actually have um uh studio grid plugins you can have seven plugins on one plugin insert of pro tools yeah yeah i Um, like that and what's cool about it is i offload anything that's a waves plugin is now no longer taking the dsp of the macintosh all of its uh processing is being offloaded to a server so now i can have much larger sessions right because all the other plugins get the dsp from the macintosh and then the dsp from waves is from that so that's kind of why i do it um yeah i've got a this apollo twin coupled with a satellite for the same reasons for any of the ua stuff which is huge dsp yeah totally yeah it all gets farmed out yeah yeah, yeah. but um i mean i have a couple of analog pieces in my toolkit that i could use but i really don't use them that often um yeah you know i have um you know the max bcl from waves you know if, if i wanted to do some mastering you know um but um yeah that's pretty much it so Anyway, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we're going to try to do more of these where we answer questions um, because we know you guys have a lot of them. um, And hopefully uh, we got to one that was one that you asked. Um, But uh, keep interacting with us. If you know the the really awesome questions, we're definitely going to bring them up in our our videos, you know, Um, and uh, maybe next time we'll go down that uh, 
rabbit hole of uh talking about playback <laughs> and, yeah. stem, and stems yeah um but well, anyway all right guys well thanks a lot thank you chris and uh we'll see yeah, you man. soon see you